Putting up to it's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. Hello and welcome to a slightly earlier Planet Hollywood. I'm Paul Hutchin, political editor of the Daily Record. Joining me this week are regulars Hannah Roger, who's the chief reporter at the Sunday Mail, and Douglas Dickey of the Scottish Daily Express. So there's only one story in Scotland people are talking about this morning, and that is the ongoing car crash of the UK COVID inquiry for the Scottish government. Um, I think it'd be fair to say that hard-won reputations are being shredded. And yesterday's session with the former First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, was no different. It's hard to know where to begin. Um, the, the inquiry ran through the gamut of issues that you'd expect, deleted WhatsApps, unminited meetings, whether the Scottish Government used the pandemic to promote independence, everything. So starting with you, Hannah, um, the, the KC Jamie Dawson has been receiving plaudits for um, his style of interrogation during the inquiry. Do you think this was maybe the, the most rigorous grilling Nicola Sturgeon has ever faced in her career? Um, is it the most well? So far, yeah, I would say so. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon has been questioned at <clears throat> committees by MSPs and MPs as well. Actually, I think um, you know, but the. I think one of the, the kind of common complaints about those sort of sessions is, you know, is very politically biased, etc. Whereas yesterday what we saw was just a very methodical, logical line of questioning. Um, and, you know, it it's not a platform where it would be appropriate to start trying to make political points and, you know, try and one-up the questioner. Um and then, of course, you've got Lady Hallett as well, who's able to come in if they feel it or if she feels that the person is not actually answering the question. So I think, you know, there wasn't a lot of room for manoeuvre for Nicola Sturgeon, even though I think she did try to manoeuvre herself out of a few difficult spots. Um, I, I don't think that she succeeded particularly. Of course, I say the most rigorous grilling of her career. Uh, it's a matter of public record. She was arrested and then released without charge as part of Operation Branch Form, and presuming some questions were asked. So I don't know if it was well, the most She's also been interviewed by both you and me, Paul, and I don't know if Doogie's interviewed her. So, I mean, I'm sure yeah, that was pretty yeah. rigorous as well. The, the third the third most rigorous grilling of her career, yes. Yeah, <laughs> That yeah, it's just, I think it's just a different type of questioning, isn't it? It's not a political questioning. It's not questions from journalists, you know, so it was, it was interesting. Forensic. to watch. It was just, you know, forensic and not in a sort yeah. of fantastic way. It was just very, mm -hmm. very impressive. Dougie, how about you? I mean, were you impressed with the Casey? Yeah, um, I think he's been impressive the entire time the UK COVID inquiry has been up here. I think it's been a good few weeks for the UK COVID inquiry because I think which uh, you know what it proves is that nothing's kind of going to be off limits there's no suggestion that people are going to um, be given an easy ride I hope the Scottish inquiry's been watching um, I mean we've still got quite a lot of that to go through 
Uh, I think it was it was it, it was slightly different from last week. It kind of felt like everything was already in the public domain. You know, a lot of the evidence that was discussed yesterday, you know, we were already aware of. And I think a lot of people um, thought that, uh, you know, Jamie does might have something up his sleeve, so to speak, to, uh, you know, one of these kind of gotcha moments that everyone talks about. But of course, that's not how, you know, a public inquiry is going to, you know, <coughs> it's not there to try and trip anyone up. So what we were basically doing was going over an awful lot of stuff that we already knew. Um, and it was Sturgeon's, obviously Sturgeon's chance to maybe put her side of it. I, I thought she waffled a lot. She tried to shut down questions by talking. But as we've seen, you know, the moment where Lady Hallett um, piped in when they were talking about the cabinet minutes about restarting the independence referendum, I don't think it's ever a good sign for someone who's been grilled like that when, you know, the head honcho needs to intervene. Uh, I don't think oh, it's great. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, the case he's done a fantastic job so far. I, 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 I doubt it have changed anyone's minds. I think because of the damning nature of the evidence that we'd already had, minds were already made up. Um, I get you get the feeling sometimes um, in the nationalist movement that. We could have been shown cabinet minutes that suggested Nicola Sturgeon thought that we should go biblical and you know kill everyone's firstborn and they would still they would you know still back her and on the other side I I, I don't think there was any uh, explanation she could have come up with that was really going to change minds and she didn't really come up with anything brilliant um, she put on a polished you know, she she always puts on a polished performance. She's a good performer. She's a good speaker. But you know, when you scratch beneath the words, there was you know there was very little substance to it. Like I'm going to try and get you to jump into the head of Nicola Sturgeon here. How do you think she feels it went? I think she probably thought it went okay. Um, probably about as best as she could hope for, because there wasn't you know there weren't. Uh, there wasn't anything else to kind of come out from this. The only thing that really was the stuff about Spain, and and and, and obviously she hadn't been directly, or she says she hadn't been directly involved in this. Um, Sturgeon always strikes me as a type of person that thinks she's always done well anyway. So even if she'd been given the runaround, uh, which I, I don't think she was, but even if she had been, she'd probably still have come out thinking she'd she'd done okay. Um, of course, so much of the evidence is missing that, that you know the rest of us, you know, to jump back out of her minds and into uh, her mind and into our mind. We don't know the full picture. We'll never know the full picture. She's decided that the decision-making process is probably less important than the decision. And, uh, and, 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 and you know, she's deleted all these, oh, sorry, not retained all these WhatsApps, as she said, but we know, you know, we know she deleted them. And um, ultimately, you know, she's left herself in a position where people are going to fill in the blanks. And, and, and again, that's never, you know, that's certainly not a good thing for her. But I think she'll, to be honest, I think she'll probably be okay with it. I, I think it could have went worse for her. I, I do, um, but at the same time, 
you know, it certainly wasn't it certainly wasn't great for her. Hannah, let's go to the sort of the main meat of it, the, mm. the WhatsApp scandal, which a story broken by the Sunday Mail last year, it was the Sunday Mail Splash. She yeah. finally admitted that she had deleted her WhatsApps, um, even though she kind of refused to comment on the Sunday Mail story. And just to go back to the pandemic, she had promised, I think, on live TV that she would hand over the WhatsApps, even though she'd already deleted them. And they're now in a black hole from which I don't think we can ever um, retrieve them. What well, unless she, she miraculously finds a, you know, second phone or some may call it a burner phone that has a just a trove of information, kind of like Hamza Yusuf happened to discover, I don't know, down the back of his couch or something. Um, but Such anyway, a cynic. What, what did you make of um, her explanations? Basically hiding behind the rules which her government created on deletion i think it it really it baffles me and i think you know i think this is part of the problem between what an ordinary person thinks a member of the public and and how politicians and governments operate and how they think so in their minds you know do i believe that they thought they were doing the right thing okay some people might disagree and some people might say oh no they knew that they shouldn't have deleted them and they still deleted them and it's all about hiding the truth i don't actually believe that to be the case i think in their heads they it made sense what they were doing you know they thought that this information was somehow captured on some corporate record therefore they could delete all the messages in their heads that made sense but if you went and asked an ordinary member of the public at that time, you know, do you think that politicians who are deciding all the, the rules for us right now should be wiping all records of those decisions, those conversations that they're having about those decisions? They would say, no, of course not. You know, so I think it's no matter how much they try to explain and hide behind the rules, I just they need well the rules need to be changed I think and and hopefully going forward they will review this but also I think as well it, it's a lot about their interpretation of the rules we had like John Swinney and Nicholas Surgeon both saying you know ever since I've been in office this has been the policy and then you've got Kate Forbes who said I didn't know anything about this policy and I've I didn't I wasn't deleting anything you know so it's clearly. It's not like it was a blanket thing that everybody was adhering to. It seems to be people's different interpretations of, of those rules. Um, but I think, you know, I know we're focusing mainly on Sturgeon today, but I think one of the really kind of sinister things was the messages between um, Jason Leach and... Is it the director general? Sorry, you'll need to remind me. But the, the bit where it said, "Oh, I'm, I have to remind you, this is FOI recoverable. Make sure." Oh yeah, Ken Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just think like we we know as journalists, all of us, I'm sure, have encountered real issues with <laughs> freedom of information with the Scottish government in particular. Um, you know, they seem really reluctant to release information that should be publicly available. And they make it seem as if it's all legitimate and, you know, there's a reason why you can't have this information. And actually, when you see messages like that, 
you think you're just yous are all just treating this like a big game and I think that actually is very sinister because you like to think that when you ask for information from the government you know they're going to treat you your request legitimately and actually it just seems like the whole institution is very switched on to how to to um, disguise information or how, how to um, conceal information from the public. Yeah, when I read those messages, I just thought that those civil servants were mocking us. Mocking oh, well, us. totally. Like, what was mocking that line about, it is not, it is your request, what is it? It's the information is not centrally I mean, you know, I'm sure they all find this funny and they'll probably find it funny that we are so irate about it right now, but I just think it's absolutely disgraceful. And the Scottish government is, I'd say, on a par with the Cabinet Office in terms of the amount of information that they refuse to release to the public. Um, and it's a growing trend that's creeping into other institutions as well. I know that's a slight tangent, but I'm just really, really concerned about it. And that kind of that exchange kind of exactly highlighted the problem and they know exactly what they're doing with that. I think that's uh, just, just to come in, there's another issue here that with them using their personal phones for government business. Mm. I mean, and, and, and it's just kind of been passed off as, oh, I didn't want two devices mm. going off. You know, this is, this is government business. This is, you know, the most important decisions that they'll make. It's also and an issue of security as well. Uh, I know. I it's know. just totally baffling, baffling to me that they thought that would be all right. And um, I think... Um, Alec Massey made a great point in the in the Times today in his column. He said Sturgeon's asking us to believe that historians don't think that people's personal diaries are important, that these kind of private letters between peoples aren't important and all we should just rely on are our state records. And it, it, it's just utterly... It, yeah. it baffles me. And it baffles me that she stood up and said, I, I, I will hand over everything, knowing that she had deleted things, even if she thought she was following the rules. It, 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 it's, it's absolutely outrageous, to be honest. Doug, yeah. obviously folk are focusing on the damage done to Sturgeon's reputation, and particularly given that she was, she won plaudits for her handling of the pandemic at the time. But this has also damaged the inquiry, isn't it? Because they just can't get to the truth. And they can't get the fullest picture that they need of the pandemic handling in Scotland. Well, yeah, and, you know, as I said earlier, Paul, part of the issue with that is people, you know, people are going to fill in the gaps themselves, and that's where imaginations can run wild. And at the end of the day, the inquiry have got to give their verdict on it, you know, report back. It's going to be quite a while before before they do that. But um, <laughs> it's going to be a case of people read it, and, and can we... You know, can we take it? I mean, we can't take it seriously, but you know, you've got to take it all with a pinch of salt. And I'm sure the inquiry will make that clear in it that they have had to, you know, compile this conclusion despite a massive lack of evidence. And there's another, actually, far more serious side of this for me is what happens if there's another pandemic? Yeah. I mean, public trust mm. in these advisors, public trust in the government. In, in terms of this hand on uh, the hand on this pandemic has uh, has been shattered. What happens if there's another one? What happens if there's another crisis? You yeah. know, can uh, you've got messages where Sturgeon says, "Oh, you know, it's so random. Six people. Um, we already know that 
you know, you can only leave house uh, house for an hour a day was you know complete nonsense. What happens if there's a, a a more serious thing that happens where these where these measures might really be important, might need to be taken, and now and and, and people are just going to look back in this and say, well, it's it's random. They've you know they've pretty much admitted it themselves. You know, mask wearing. Oh well, I'm start, You know, if Humza Yusuf can get away with it because Jason Leach gave him a workaround. Consequences. I'm reluctant to jump down rabbit holes, but I'll go down one. Uh, Amar Anwar, who's the lawyer for the COVID bereaved, yesterday mm. raised the suggestion that the deletions, which took place, I think, in 2020, um, may have had some sort of link to the Alex Salmond trial, which overlapped with the early days of uh, the pandemic. Um, thoughts on this? I mean, he did say it outside of the inquiry. People are talking about it. Um, he said it outside of the, he said outside, he said outside of the inquiry, there was a question in the inquiry that was not, it, the, the question in the actual inquiry was bizarre. It said about, you know, um, was the decision to lock down at that point any link to the fact that the Alex Salmond case may still be ongoing during that time? I mean, it, that was bizarre. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to get into what I think on that. I, I think that, you know, this is such an important issue. You know, there so many people died, people couldn't see their relatives, etc. I'm I, I'm just not going to entertain any sort of conspiracy about Alex Salmon's uh, trial, blah, blah. I'm sorry, but there's actually more important things going on in Scotland than whether Alex Salmon's case, you know, Nicola Sturgeon was talking about it on WhatsApp. I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Sorry. Let's, okay, let's not go down that dark rabbit hole. Um, in terms of uh, uh, sort of, I think the Casey Jamie Walsh, I think the sort of golden thread running through his interrogation, or one of the golden threads, was this idea of secrecy. So, like the WhatsApps, you had um, Gold Command meetings mm -hmm. not being minuted. <clears throat> you had the sort of failure to provide details on the Nike conference. Do you think that is that what people now associate with Sturgeon's handling of the pandemic rather than, you know, she was a good communicator, which was the line at the time? Well, I think, to be honest, it's not just Sturgeon's handling of the pandemic, but I think Sturgeon has left a legacy of secrecy. Um, unfortunately, I think, you know, yes, as we see with the pandemic, um, but you know, obviously based on all the kind of police activity and whatnot, I'm not saying that Sturgeon is directly, has directly done anything or anyone has directly done anything, but clearly there's a lot of things that have come out that were, you know, completely <coughs> unknown to not just the public, but members of the SNP and independent supporters as well. I think the way that Nicola Sturgeon um quite often treated questions from journalists, the perfectly legitimate questions, was if, you know, oh, why are you asking me that? 
um, kind of try to shut down questioning that she maybe didn't like. I think that if you look back at all of that, um, I do think there's there's a sort of legacy of of, of secrecy and, and I'm loath to say the word cover up, but I think there has been some kind of covering up of information too. Um, yeah, and actually, if we're talking about just the pandemic, I think Sturgeon, the way that she communicated information to people was better than the UK government. Um, to be honest, that was a very low bar. It wouldn't have been difficult with blooming Boris Johnson jumping about all over the place. Um, but I think, you know, now we're seeing the, the process behind those decisions and it, you might be able to communicate things well, but under the scenes or behind the scenes, it, it seemed like a bit of a riot. I was just thinking back to that Channel 4 question on WhatsApp. Dougie. Yeah. She was quite irritable when she answered it. You know, she just, yeah. she didn't like it. You know, in retrospect, it just looks well dodgy. Not only the fact that that clearly wasn't the truth, but just the way she kind of addressed the journalist leaves a nasty taste in the mouth, doesn't it? But it happened, it happened all the time. It wasn't just like, I mean, how many times, how many times could you point to during that, the COVID briefings where, you know, journalists were almost mocked or, you know, ridiculed for asking a question. And then, you know, all the sort of backlash on social media afterwards against that individual journalist for just doing their job. Sorry, Dougie, I keep interrupting you. I, um, I, I think what I was going to say is, for me, it stems from, there's a culture, I think, within the Scottish government, which I think comes from the party that's in the Scottish government. It, it always knows best. And, some, and somehow we should be grateful mm. for the work it does. And I, I, I think Sturgeon, in a sneering kind of way, thought that we should be grateful for doing these daily briefings, which, and, and you know, and, and, and themselves, I, I never felt added much other than getting her face on TV every day. You know, you can't buy that kind of publicity. Mm. Um, I'm sure we'll come to the politicisation in a minute, but... Um, and and I, 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 it's just such an indignant, she's such an indignant attitude to people who question her, and I, and and I think that goes right through, right through the Scottish government. It, it it thinks it knows best, and it thinks that people should put up and shut up. You know, we're in charge. Uh, we know what's best for you, mm -hmm. um, and, and 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 anyone who questions that is immediately shot down, and 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 we see it, and as and as mm -hmm. the. Channel Four One wasn't, you know, wasn't the only time um, that uh, she shot someone down. We've seen it with Humza Yusuf. The Sunday Mail story about his COVID WhatsApps, and it turned out to be completely true. And oh, right. when you know Murray Foot rubbished the Sunday Mail story about the SNP membership, it turned out to be completely true. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, so that culture is. is for me, eat into the Scottish government, and 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 that's why you see this culture of oh, you don't need to know that we decide mm. to know. And um, can I make a point as well? You know, this is where it becomes dangerous too, because it's not just. Um, I feel like it, it's it's kind of leaching into other areas, and yes, okay, this is one of my 
uh, pet peeve subject. But if we look at this, the absolute state of the situation with Michael Matheson, you know, and it's that 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 attitude, Dougie, that you're describing, has been applied to a situation where a government minister has done something absolutely ludicrous and tried to claim a very large amount of money for their own personal use on on taxpayers, you know, from taxpayers' money. And then it's almost like, how dare you question me? It's that exact same attitude. I'm sorry, but journalists are entitled to question people, particularly when they have done something wrong. And it's, you know, even, even when presented with clear evidence of wrongdoing and, you know, say 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that would be a resignable or sackable offence. And now it's just like, the total brass neck, just ride it out and bat away any questions and deflect. And I think it's disgraceful and it's really dangerous, actually, the pattern that we're seeing. Anna, let's just take a sort of wider lens to look at Sturgeon's career. She was Scotland's longest serving First Minister. And over the last year, we've had major developments in Operation Branch Form. We've now had the WhatsApp scandal. What would you say her positive legacy is, other than all the elections that she won and her longevity as First Minister? Do you know, I think she has left a positive legacy in the sense that, um, I think actually from a woman's point of view, she has achieved a lot as a woman that many other people would think you know, particularly when she started in politics, I imagine it would have been very, very difficult. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing at the picture we've got up there. Um, you know, I think she has done a lot for women in politics and encouraging women to go into politics. I'm not saying that, you know, women considering going into politics now would particularly want to be subject to the same type of treatment as Nicola Sturgeon is, um, you know, and and the same level of scrutiny, I suppose, because she's clearly uncomfortable with that. But I do think that she's kind of set an example for women who are maybe considering a career in politics. So that 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 would be my main one, I think. Doesn't it sound like a massive um, sort of policy portfolio of achievements? Well, no, but I mean, we've talked about this so many times. Um, I can't point to... I don't know, Dougie, what do you think? Am I being unfair? Uh, well, I, I mean, obviously, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't think she's got much positive um, uh, legacy at all. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to defer to Hannah because obviously um, I, it's not really for me to comment on what impact she's had on Scotland's women. I don't think that'd be fair. Um, but... Uh, she set out, or she claimed her. You know, if um, if you look at what her goals were, um, bridging the poverty gap, failure, education, failed, no NDRF two, you know, failed. Uh, it, her legacy is is constant failure, and now the one thing that she maybe could have clung to, which was her hand on of the COVID, which was generally as as everyone says was generally thought to be to, to, to have been better than elsewhere in the UK. That's that's coming, you know, absolutely crashing down all 
around her. And I think she leaves a legacy of secrecy. I think she leaves a legacy of, you know, a whiff of scandal, maybe. Her, her predecessor is struggling badly because of the, well, partly because of himself, but also partly because of the, um, sorry, sorry, her successor is struggling badly. <laughs> seen that, so, uh, her successor is struggling badly, partly because of his own inag- uh, inadequacies, but also because of the legacy that she's left him. And, and, and it's funny, earlier, Hannah, when you brought up Michael Matheson, mm. part of this, again, it's it, it's almost like the cover-up again has been worse than the crime. Yes. Like, you know, if she'd, if she'd said on live TV, will you hand over if she'd said look Scottish government policy has been to delete WhatsApp but I will hand over what I can quite a lot of this you know the sting might have been taken out quite a lot of this and and, and yet so and, and it was the same with Michael Matthews Michael Matthews is fronted up January or my kids got hold of my iPad they're watching the old forum game um I'll 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 you know I'll settle the bill you know that would all obviously there's still been questions over security and whatnot but it could all have been you know, it would all have blown over, but because they constantly try and cover their tracks, they constantly lie to the public, it, 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 it becomes something that they then lose control of. And, and you know, her again, her legacy is that the SNP have lost, have lost momentum. Not only have they lost momentum, they're now um, going backwards. You know, trust trust has been eroded in them and the Scottish government. And, I, I, you know, as I said earlier, from a from a pandemic point of view, that kind of really serious consequences. So I I, I think her um, <coughs> she has been almost blown to pieces by this. Yeah, I take your point on COVID, Dougie. I think that even our political adversaries had a grudging respect for her at the time of the pandemic for the shift she put in. But I, I think that's crumbled now with this. Do you not think though, right? Just just to give some credit, right? Do you not think part of being a leader? during a time of like severe crisis is yes the communication but also to try and offer people some sort of reassurance you know i i feel as if people felt more reassured by what they were being told by nicola sturgeon and the way that they were being told it than they did with bungling boris johnson and matt hancock who's too busy having an affair in his office than you know Nicola Sturgeon who did you know I feel like that's a part of it that that <coughs> even though we know now the decision making wasn't recorded correctly the there were obviously political elements to it going on behind the scenes but I think there is a big part of it that is just offering that sort of calm stable reassurance to the public that they can't really go unnoticed I do think that she she deserves some credit for doing that. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think she's completely tarnished. I mean, um, I think she was a reassuring presence in those awful years. But the, yeah. I think the issue now is that, you know, it's, it's okay to say, well, I did daily press conferences. It's kind of undermined by the fact you don't tell the truth at those daily press conferences, um, as was the case with the Channel 4 journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on then, good week, bad week. Hannah, let's start with you. We all know who you're going to go for on, on Good Week, so just want to confirm it. <laughs> for once, I'm not going for Keir Starmer. <laughs> He's had a bit of a, a quiet week. Um, no, my Good Week is actually uh, Kate Forbes, because I think that she 
out of all of the um, you know ministers and politicians from the Scottish government this week, I think that she came across as quite genuine, professional. She also kind of looks a bit like the golden girl because she didn't delete all of her messages. Um, and yeah, I was actually, you know, I wish that we'd got to talk about that a bit more, actually, because I was really impressed with her at the, the, the inquiry. Um, and my bad week is Nicola Sturgeon for all the reasons that we've just mentioned for the last half an hour. That is some photograph. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you need to elaborate on that, Anna. No. Maybe up over to you. Yeah, so uh, for bad week, uh, I'll start with bad week. I went for um, everyone who placed their trust on Nicola Sturgeon during the pandemic, especially some commentators down south who held her up as some sort of exemplar of crisis management. I think um, uh, I would like to think that their faith has been shaken, uh, although, as I said earlier, um, uh, you know, views are so entrenched in this that I think it's very difficult for people to... Uh, change her mind, but at the end of the day, she was she was mopping up after herself, clearing her WhatsApps. She was trying to politicise the pandemic, and she was guilty of all the things that um, uh, you know people had said that she hadn't been up to during during then. And, and you're me, never voting SNP again as a result, are you? Well, well, um, you know, absolutely not, Paul. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm moving over to the Scottish Greens, which, um, which brings me actually onto my next, uh, my uh, good week. So I've decided to finish with um, a nice story, some harmony. It's been uh, a bruising few weeks. Uh, the Scottish Greens had put out a press release on this yesterday while Nicola Sturgeon was giving her evidence. I wasn't quite sure it was the top story of the day, but uh, the Scottish uh, Parliament has agreed a ban on sand eel fishing, which they say is very good for Scotland's puffin population, puffins no. and sea life in general. Um, I, I, you know, uh, bird life in Scotland's had a, a rough time, what with uh, uh, bird flu, avian flu and whatnot. And it was nice to see something, uh, you know, something where we can all, I think, come, I think we can all come together and agree that um, anything that helps our, our uh, stunning wildlife, which I, I don't think we appreciate enough, in this country um is, is is a good thing so i'll end in a wee a wee positive note it's been a good week for the puffins would you well, know who I, else? It's a subject i know nothing about and i won't be googling it but thank I was you say, do you know who else has had a good week that bloody monkey that's escaped uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, all right okay well um that's uh sturgeon evidence over and um, the circus moves on I hope you've enjoyed the episode of Planet Hollywood and uh, please tune in again next Thursday. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal.